Ms. Emily, I understand that if the side door of your house is open, there is food on the stove. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> so I imagine a lot of people just drive around so that they see that door open, huh? <laughs> they see that side door open this time. And every day somebody stop by. Every day. And if they don't stop by to bring something, they stop by to see what I got on my stove. And what you'll find on Miss Emily Meggett's stove is the kind of food that you never forget once you've tasted it. What is the first thing you knew that you could cook really well, something that people would ask you to cook? Grits. The 89-year-old Edisto, South Carolina native, has been cooking all her life. She measures nothing, uses only basic seasonings, and doesn't write down recipes until 2019 when a family friend convinced her to put the recipes of her enslaved ancestors in a book. Gullah Geechee Home Cooking is now a New York Times bestseller. More on that in a moment, but first, let's talk grits. This should be the first thing because we had grits like every morning. Going to school, going in the field, what we want, we had that grits for breakfast every morning. Some people think that it's it's complicated to, to prepare grits. How do you fix your grits? I don't measure. So I just put some grits in the pot as much as I think I need it. Then I wash it about two or three times mm -hmm. and get all those eyeballs out of it. <laughs> I think some people might be surprised to hear someone say that they wash their grits before cooking their grits. You're supposed to. Uh-huh. You're supposed to wash it and then put it on the stove to cook. You don't, you don't wash it, you know what? You got a lot of hooks mm -hmm. in your stomach because when when they send the corn to the mill and they, they, um, they scrape the cob, once they scrape that cob, you've got some hooks on that uh, uh, in the grits. Mm -hmm. So when they go through and, and separate the grits through the, the hooks, you got a bag for hooks, you got a bag for grits, and you got a bag for cornmeal. So wow. if you don't wash that grits, you got a lot of hooks in there. A lot of people don't wash it. Ms. Maggot, you said that you remember watching your grandmother cook. What kinds of things did she cook? Everything that was cookable. Everything that was cookable because it still had everything that, that we needed. We didn't have to go off the island and pick up a few things. So whatever was here, I thought it was, we was poor and it was hard time, but we was rich because we had everything right here. Rice, grits, flour, sugar. We had it right here. Shrimp, crab, oyster. We didn't have to leave the island to go to get none of those things. Edisto is one of the most blessed places on the planet. Heaven. No place better than Edisto, huh? No, no. So someone no. couldn't get you to move from Edisto, huh? No money can move me off Edisto. Let's talk about you growing up on Edisto, since you, you so love Edisto Island and no one could ever take you from Edisto. So let's talk about life on Edisto. What did you do as a young girl on Edisto? What do you remember? Well, as a young girl on Edisto, I had to go to school. And then when I get out of school, I had to come home and had chores to do. And I thought, you know, girls and boys, I thought they were supposed to do whatever the boys does. So we have to bring in wood, cut the wood, 
feed the hog, feed the horse, and um, pump the water for the cow and the hog and the horse. Mm. People had to go out in the field, and there was there was some weed up there called sorrow. We used to have to pull that the whole bag full and put it in the pen for the pigs. Then we had to get moss and put it in the hog pen for for the hog when it ran and sloppy. So I did a lot of things growing up on Eddie Stewart as a young girl. But what if you didn't want to do that? Was there any chance of you getting out of that? The strap was coming. Uh oh. <laughs> kids back, kids back then, they had to do what their parents said do long as it was right. Right. You know, if, if kids didn't have no decision. Well, I don't feel like doing this, and I don't feel like doing that. Uh-uh. If you don't feel, you better feel and go do it. Somewhere along the way, you met a handsome young man named Jesse Meggett. Do you remember the day you met him? Oh, Lord, I'm missing. <laughs> the day that I met him, there were some boys from across the bridge. Adam's run up Hollywood. They were like four of the boys here. They didn't want the boys from across the bridge to come over here to see the girls over here. So this guy named Percival, Percival says, we're going to send those boys back across that bridge because they don't belong over here. So, Crystal Will said, let's gang those boys and run them back. Besides the tree and this, they're going to sing a song and get those boys off this, off this island. Those boys where they never come back, see? Sick him, bulldog, lick him, talk. Come on, they just still beat him up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you remember this song? Yes, <laughs> that was so funny. Those boys leave and those boys didn't come back. Sicking bulldog, they came up. And it's those boys gonna beat you up. Jesse Meggett apparently said the right things to you because you would eventually marry and have a lot of children. Yes. I know that your husband passed away about 13 or 14 years ago. I think it's about almost 15. And the two of you were parents to 11 children. Tell me your children's names. Christopher, Mildred, Elizan, Joanne, Louise, Emily, Carol, Elizabeth, Laverne, and then Molly, and one stepchild, Ronald. It was 12 of us here in four room, plus kids that follow me home. <laughs> And I, when I call the parents to tell them to come and get them, I don't want to go home with those white people. And oh. their mother and father didn't care whether they stayed or come home. So then I have to make room for them with four girls in one bed and four girls in the next bed and one boy on the couch on the arm, four little pot, and the baby slept with us in four room. The house you're in right now, you've been in since 1960? 1960 in 1969, we added on the back for another four room because we had four room up front and added the back for another four room and it turned out to be nine room. So it had nine room in the back and four room in the front. So that's 13, that's 11 room, a big bath in here. I understand one is now in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. 
Can you tell me about that cabin? I understand it was a slave cabin. Yes, um, only four rooms in that cabin. And then we had like two rooms, two rooms upstairs on the eve, but you know, you couldn't stand up. And how many people lived in that cabin? 10, 13. 13 people in how many rooms? Four? And who was Julia Brown to you? Julia Brown. She wasn't nothing to me. Mm -hmm. But she also worked at she Dodge Plantation. She was the cook for the, for the Dodgers and those. I went there in 1954 to wash the dishes in the kitchen to help the cook. Because the cook used to cook for upstairs and downstairs. They had like six help. When I went there, the cook used to cook for both of them. So then about three weeks later, then they appointed me to be the cook for the help. So I cooked for the help. And Miss Julie cooked for the Dodgers in those upstairs. But I had to I had the, the time of my life to get everything in order like how she wanted. Because I didn't know how she cooked. She didn't know who I cooked. I tell you, I had a struggle for a while. Because if I didn't do it right, she would throw it in the trash can. Oh, boy. Oh, I tell you, she just take her finger and touch it and go right to the trash can. She said, I better look for something else for those kids for, for lunch. Well, what am I going to do at 11 o'clock? 11.15. But I tell you, it was a tough time. But I could have killed her every day I walked to that door. Oh, no. <laughs> but I she was going to come up with something. But I tell you, I thank God for her today. Uh -huh. because she had taught me some things to cook. Tell me about some of the things you cook, Miss Emily. <laughs> oh, Lord. I know that's a long list. That's a long list. Eat anything out there that I don't cook. Okay, I got um, shrimp and gravy. I got red rice. I got hopping John. I got chicken parallel. I got okra gumbo. I got okra soup. I got squash casserole, beans, turkey, baked chicken, fried chicken, fish, crab, oyster. There is nothing you don't cook. What would you say is your best dish? Shrimp, grits and gravy. Oh, I love that. One of the things that's interesting about your cooking and people who know how to cook well is you don't measure anything. Mm -mm. I don't measure, all I do is cook. Was that difficult when you were putting your cookbook together, when you had to put down, you know, measurements so that people would know how much to use, those of us who don't cook as well as you? It, it, it was really difficult because I cook from my brain, my heart, and my hand. Here we are. You are a best-selling author. Miss Emily, can you tell me, who came up with the idea to make a cookbook? The lady that I went to work for, Becky Smith. And I must have been there like maybe three weeks, and she said to me, she said, Emmy, you need to write a cookbook and let the people in the world know who Emmy is. I said, man, I can't do that. So she said, oh, yes, you can. So after breakfast in the morning, they were no lunch and I'll fix the dinner and leave it. And she would sit down on the floor and I sit in the chair and just 
so they gave her the, the, um, the recipe for whatever. Chicken, baked turkey, ham, baked venison, you name it. And she sat there and she put it down and she, and she said, we're going to record it. So then she recorded and we got it all together. Everything had left on her. We said, well, maybe we can self-publish. And I tell you, we went through some good time with our self-publishing and then through some bad time. And then I said, now, I don't know nothing about Zooming. <laughs> I don't know nothing about texting. <laughs> Don't, don't text me because I don't text. <laughs> so, so then, Becky Smith's son said, I'm going to do something to get this book on the market. That was like 2019. I had some good help. So I said, well, maybe I'll go for i go for 2022. I may see it and I may not. So... Yeah. Tell me your reaction when you heard those words that you were, that you are a New York Times best-selling author. <laughs> what was your reaction? I can't get excited, and for for some reason I don't know why I can't get excited. I said, Lord, just help me to stay calm because if I get excited, get too excited. Then I may fall up and die. Oh no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I said, "Oh, you're the queen. You're the queen of this, uh -huh. queen of that. Just let me be me and be humble, right? And um, and don't change nothing. Mm -hmm. Can we be excited for you? Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What would your husband say about all of this? I know he would have been excited. Uh-huh. <laughs> he would have been excited. Like those kids are excited. Speaking of your children, which one of your children really picked up your cooking skills? All of them, except one. Okay, you don't have to name that person. I don't want to get you in any trouble. Mom and Mom and cook, but mom and not cook like the other kids cook. The uh -huh. other kids cook like how I cook. Uh-huh. They cook big and they cook everything. Ms. Emily, is there anything that you haven't done you want to do? All I want to do now is just live, see my 90th birthday. Amen. Miss Emily Meggett, mother cook, grandmother, beloved cook, best-selling author. Thank you so much for speaking with me. And again, congratulations on the Presidential Service Award. Thank you. Thank you so much. For this episode of Let's Talk, Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time. Mm -hmm.